0: So let's uh, let's all this morning turn in our Bibles to the Book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter four this morning, covering verses thirteen to twenty-five. Let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning, and we want to lift up, Lord, this time in your Word. We know that, Father, it's only by your Spirit that we come to understand Your Word. You're the one that opens our eyes to see and our spiritual understanding. And so we invite You, Lord, even now, to open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. And Lord, that we would leave today, Lord, changed by Your Word, changed by Your Holy Spirit. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Justification Apart from the Law. We had our Christmas break, our New Year's break, and so we've been away from Romans for a little bit, we're back to it. And I'm going to recap a few things, but I, I want to remind you that We've been on a journey all the way to chapter 4 here. Paul had already in chapter 1 made a clear statement that the Gentiles are guilty before God. In chapter 2, Paul declared that the Jews also stand guilty before God. In scripture, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. Chapter 3 we started in talking about justification by faith. And now in chapter 4, we're seeing that Paul is having to make a defense for his statements in chapter 3. His defense is that justification, it's apart from works. And he uses some examples, some illustrations to show those that maybe were struggling with that that salvation has always been by faith apart from works. Next week, we'll be in chapter 5, and it's going to be the results of our justification by faith. In chapter 3, looking back, verse 19, Paul gave, we might call it the final verdict. He spent two and a half chapters... Uh, that we might call the closing arguments. This declaration that Jew and Gentile, that they all stand guilty before God. Paul writes, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Did you get that? Every mouth in all the world become guilty before God. And then he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul also wrote the book of Galatians, and he wrote this actually, this book of Galatians, before Romans. In Galatians 3.21, Paul wrote this. Is the law then against the promises of God? He's talking about this law that the Jews in their mind, they held so close to their salvation. This this law that they sought to keep. Is the law then against the promises of God? Paul's response to that is certainly not. For if, we, if there had been a law given which could have given life, then truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scriptures have confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. If you are trying to please God by your efforts, by your works, by what you can do for Him, you're going down the wrong road. As a matter of fact, salvation can never be obtained that way. You can only get right in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That bucks up against the flesh of a lot of religions in the world. That bucks up against the flesh really of ourselves because we're all geared to think that we don't get something that glorious and that good for nothing. There must be something That God would want me to do or that I would have to do to obtain salvation. God says you can't do anything except simply put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that cross to save you. The law says, or we could say the Scriptures say, uh, they prove to the Jew who were really given the law. God gave the law to the Jew. And it proved to the Jew that they stood guilty under the law. And if the Jews stand guilty under the law, then the Gentiles that don't have the law, where do they stand? They are guilty before God. In Romans 2.14, Paul says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. And the law to themselves that he's talking about for the Gentile is that they have the law of conscience. And they also have the law of nature. You can read about those two things in chapter 1, verse 26, and also in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He talks about the Gentiles being a law unto themselves, that conscience and the very nature and the design at which God designed things, they go against that. And God says, I'll hold you accountable to your conscience and your very nature. Paul concludes that all flesh, both Jews and Gentiles, that they stand guilty before God. Paul went on to say in Romans 3.27, asking another question. Where is boasting then? Have you ever had a time in your past where you boasted before somebody and said, you know what, I think I'd go to heaven because you know what, I've always been a pretty good person. I've always tried to do the right things. I've never really hurt anyone. I, you know, the, 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 the reasons go on and on. Where is boasting then? Paul says, it's excluded. There won't be any boasting in heaven. And he says, by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so there's the law of works and there's the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Is that clear to you? It's clear to me were justified or we were put into right standing before God apart from the deeds of the law. The deeds of the law always speak of man's effort. What they think they can do for God. And why God might owe them something for their effort. It won't amount to anything and there won't be any boasting in heaven. Remember that one of the key verses in the book of Romans, is in chapter 1, verse 17. And this is how it reads. For in it, speaking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul quoting from Habakkuk 2.4, Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. Or the justified shall live by faith. Just as a reminder, and I've covered this before, justification by its very definition is an act of God. Whereby He takes mankind and He makes us just. He puts us into right standing. He frees us from guilt. He frees us from the penalty of sin. I hope that everyone here this morning that you've all experienced that in your relationship with God. Being freed from sin. The grip of sin in your life. The penalty that was due to us. We've been set free from that. Wow! That's incredible. That's why it's called good news. And, and, and it's all what He's done for me, not what I've done for Him. We need to know that justification doesn't make you righteous. It's not your righteousness. Justification is God declaring that a person is righteous based on your faith in Him. Based upon you putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ is the reason why you will stand before God someday righteous. Not your righteousness, but the righteousness of His Son in you. That's really important to know. Three weeks ago, I shared the difference between justification by faith and also justification by works. One of two places that people try to get right with God. One is a work of God, and the other is a work of man's flesh. And the work of man's flesh, God says, I won't accept it. It it, it won't stand when you stand before me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew his fellow Jew. He knew his mindset. You see, he was a Jew himself. And he knew the thinking of how a a Jew would wrestle with these things about the law, and the law not being part of salvation. And so Paul knew that he needed to use some pretty big patriarchs of the Old Testament to prove this point. And so he uses Abraham, the father of faith, the father of circumcision, the one that the Jew looked at and held in high regard. He used King David, the king of kings, For Israel, he used him as an example to show that it would not come by way of works. Three weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, uh, I want to read this again because we've been away from it for a couple weeks. I'm not going to expound on it, but I want to read it in light of us getting into our text this morning. So look at your Bibles, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Remember, Paul keeps asking these questions. These are rhetorical questions that cause a person to have to answer it in their own mind. That's how he's doing his teaching. He says, For if Abraham was justified by works, and he wasn't, but if he was... He has something to boast about. But then what does it say? But not before God. Now in the Jews' mind, if there was anyone that was walking in obedience to God, it was Father Abraham, the patriarch of their faith. They looked at him as a man of obedience when he was called out by God to go. And he went. But even Abraham, Paul says to his fellow Jew, can't boast. He can't put his trust and his stock in that. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him, or I could say, or to the person who works. The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, you either are working for your salvation and thinking in your mind, God owes it to you, or you're falling on the grace of God and His mercy for your salvation, and you realize that grace is not anything you could ever earn. He simply gives it to you. Which one do you want? I'll take grace and mercy from God every day over my works. And what I think that I can do for God. Because I fail. I mess up. I won't be able to do it. He goes on to say, But to him who does not work, but believes on Him. Very simple, isn't it? But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works. King David, a man that was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that God loved, but he was a man that fell to the flesh in some great ways. Paul's using King David as an example of a man that fell to the flesh. But he also was one that came to understand how blessed it is for a person to not have his sin Imputed to Him. You see, our sin was imputed to Christ when He hung there on that cross. Our sin was put upon Him. He took our sin. David came to realize that his lawless deeds, his unrighteous living, that blessed, he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. This is David writing Psalm 32. After he had sinned with Bathsheba. After assisting in the murder of her husband. That's King David. How do you think that sounded in the Jews' mind? When they think of their king and King David. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Paul now asks another question. Verse 9. Does this blessedness that King David is talking about, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised, he's talking about the Jew only, or upon the uncircumcised, talking about the Gentiles? He says it's the Gentiles also. That blessedness is not just upon the Jew, it's on the Gentile. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham For righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? How would you answer that? How was it accounted to Abraham when he was circumcised or when he was not circumcised? Paul says, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And Abraham received a sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that Abraham might be the father of all those who believe. He might be the father of all those who believe. Not just to the Jew. The father of all of us, Jew and Gentile, that believe. He says, uh, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only are of the circumcision, speaking to the Jew, but also that walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. But all of those, all of us, all of us Gentiles that walk in the same manner, in the same faith that Father Abraham walked in. Abraham, the father of circumcision, while he was still uncircumcised, became a partaker of the blessing. The blessing that came from God came when Abraham believed. God gave promises to Abraham and he simply believed God for what he said, even though he couldn't comprehend how it was going to come to pass. You see, the order for Abraham's spiritual blessing, it's first he came by way of faith. It's how you came. By way of faith. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. He first came by way of faith. Then justification came to Abraham. And then circumcision followed. You see, they wanted to get it backwards. They wanted to say that circumcision, the outward circumcision of the flesh, was what God required for a person to come into right standing. It was the keeping of the law. And that's what they were believing. Paul needed to eliminate that thinking in their mind. Just like we need to eliminate that kind of thinking in people's mind that thinks somehow or another God's going to accept them based upon their works. Well, I was baptized. and not that sufficient? I got water baptized. I, you know, I was raised in a church. I, you know, those excuses today are the same thing that the Jew was saying in his heart and in his mind. Paul wrote in Galatians 3 and verse 8, he says, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Saying, in you all the nations, that's Jew and Gentile, all the nations will be blessed. That's Paul, he's making it very clear to the Jew and also to the Gentile that salvation came to Abraham. His faith in God was before circumcision ever came upon him. The problem with circumcision for the Jews was that they were glorying in it. Even in the book of Acts, if you read in the book of Acts, you'll see that some of the Jews that came to know that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and they were converted Jews, they came to believe. They even struggled, even at that point, of trying to tell the Christians, the, the, these new Christians, they needed to be circumcised if they wanted to be ripe. Paul had to deal with that even in the New Testament. Even after Christ. He had to deal with that in the Jews' mind. Because they couldn't let it go. They wrestled with it. They gloried in it. They boasted in it. And it was a hard thing to let go. Sometimes it's hard for us to let go like that. Have you ever found yourself being on a, in a works mentality before God? Trying to please God by how many different things you can do, how much money you could give, how many different things, you know. And we get into this works kind of thing before God. And God says, you know what, when you're doing it for work's sake, I don't accept it. When you do works as out of an outflow of who you are and what I've done for you, I accept all of that and it glorifies Me. In Hebrews 11.8, it says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Here's the, Abraham, the father of faith, obeying. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. This land that God had given to him. A foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, we're told. For he waited for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Faith. God loves it. Hebrews chapter 11, the hallmark of faith. These men and women that just... By faith, believe God. It says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up his son Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Isn't that incredible? Old Testament, first book of the Bible. Here's Abraham, the father of faith, offering up His only begotten Son, New Testament, Jesus Christ. The Father sending His only begotten Son into this world. Here's Abraham offering up His only begotten Son of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding, and listen to this, he was concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Here's Abraham, a man of faith, believing as he offered up that promised child Isaac upon that altar, that God was even able to raise him from the dead if He allowed him to kill him. That's faith. That's what honors God. That's what God receives. We've already looked at Romans chapter 4, 1 to 12. In verses 1 to 5, it was Abraham justified by faith. In verses 6 to 8, it was King David justified by faith. In verses 9 to 12, it was Abraham justified by faith apart from any ordinance of circumcision. This morning, we're going to see in verses 13 to 18, that Abraham was justified and made right in the eyes of God before the law was even given. Before the law was even given, he was made right in the eyes of God. In verses 19 to 25, Abraham was justified by faith in the resurrection. And so were you and I. Paul, being a Jew, knew how his fellow Jew thought. All of chapter four really is a way for Paul to come back and defend. Chapter 3. Let me give you the illustrations, he says, so that you'll come to understand that your circumcision, that law that you hold so dear, won't be enough. As a matter of fact, that law condemns you, that law brings wrath upon you. That's what they didn't understand. There's a word, and I've already Talked about it some. There's a word that we need to be very clear on. It's the word accounted. Now, it's a Greek word that is translated a number of different ways in your English Bible. It's translated conclude, it's translated impute, or reckoned, or accounted. And so when you read your Bibles and you're reading these various Ways this word is translated, it's saying the same thing. The word actually means to compute something. It means to calculate. You know, you get on the calculator, you know, you calculate things in your mind. It means to calculate something. That's what the word impute means. Now, in this chapter 4 that we're in, in Romans, it's used the most time, I think, in the New Testament right here. It's actually used 11 times in chapter 4. We see um, in chapter 4, verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom God, here's the same word, but he says imputes righteousness apart from works. In verse 8, blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not... Impute sin. Verse 9 Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And verse 10 How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And then in verse 11. And he received a sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them. This imputing of God's righteousness to you and I puts you in right standing before God when you put your faith and trust, and you believed in the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you said, I believe. And God came into your heart and life by His Holy Spirit. At that point, His righteousness was imputed to you. Have you ever had gone to your bank account? I, I think you'd all like it if it hasn't happened. And you looked at it, and there was more in there than you thought. You know, it's like somebody made a deposit into my bank account, and you got all excited and thrilled. Wow, I didn't, you know, and that's what we're talking about God putting something to our account that we didn't even deserve. It was all His grace and His mercy. And I looked at my account, and there it was. God saved me apart from myself. Pretty incredible. In verse 22 it says, And therefore it was accounted to Him for righteousness. Verse 23, Now it was not written for His sake alone, that it was imputed to Him. Verse 24, But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in Him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Pretty incredible chapter. Look at verse 13 now in your Bibles. For the promise that he, that he is Abraham, for the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world, the father of faith, it was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul's making a statement, a clear declaration, that it was apart from the law but through faith alone. Genesis 26.4, when that promise was made to Abraham, God said, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth, She'll be blessed. Do you know that that trickles all the way down to you and I? He did that in Abraham, the father of faith. And it comes all the way to us today. Even as Gentiles. The promise by God was not through the law, but only through the righteousness that God gives to us through faith. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. That word through, if you look it up in a Bible dictionary, this is what it means. A channel. A channel. You know what a channel is? A channel like if you were to run water down this channel. It's this going down. That faith is the channel that God chose to use to bring you into a relationship with God. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not your faith. It's it's not even the faith that saved you. The only thing that saves you is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not that of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. verse 14 for if those who are of the law are heirs if they're the ones that are the heirs of this promise then Paul says faith is made void if it's those that are keeping the law that become heirs to God you know what an heir is Somebody that gets an inheritance. Somebody that becomes an heir of the estate. Somebody that has the right to be an heir. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. It's useless. They just go work for it. Faith is void, and the promise made of no effect. Mean anything, man. Just work for it. Just keep the Ten Commandments. Do all, you know, and God will maybe let you into heaven. You see, an heir by definition is one who receives his allotted possession by right of sonship. Did you get that? You become a child of God when you give your life to Christ. You become an heir. You're adopted into the family of God the moment you believe. And all of those spiritual blessings that we read about in Ephesians 1, they become yours. It's all yours. Because you're an heir. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Spirit Himself, talking about the Spirit of God, it bears witness with our spirit that we are... Children of God. And if children, then heirs. And heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. When you gave your life to Christ, and as you began to walk in your walk with the Lord, did you come more and more to that full assurance in your heart? You know what? I know I'm a child of God. I know that He saved me. There is no doubt in my mind. I know what I used to be. I know what I am now. There is no in His spirit agreeing with my spirit that I'm a child. I can't even put it into words how that works. but all, one thing I know, I know that I know that I know. I know that I'm saved. I know he lives in me. Wow. That's what we have. You're an heir of Christ. Ephesians 3:6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Not just the Jew, but that the Gentiles, Paul says, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. Jew and Gentile. Titus 3.7 That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hebrews 11.9 by faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Do you see how it all went down? It started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the twelve tribes, and eventually that seed would lead to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then eventually that death, burial, and resurrection on the cross would lead to our salvation. It's always been by faith. It's never been any different. Verse 15. 14 ends with, faith is made void and the promise is made of none effect. Why? Because the law... What's it say in your Bibles? The law brings about what? Wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see, the law had its purpose. The law had a a significant purpose in God's plan. It was never intended to bring justification or life to you and me. The law was given to show man his inability to keep it. And and so, we'll never be saved by it. As a matter of fact, it's contrary to grace and mercy, isn't it? If the law brings wrath, then it's contrary to grace and mercy by which we are saved. That's important to know. The Living Bible puts it this way. The only way we can keep from breaking the law is not to have any to break. You see, God gave the law to show man, you can't do it. Are you frustrated now? You can't do it. You can't live up to it. And then his grace and his mercy just seem so much more inviting. Now I want it. Now I see what it's all about. That's what Paul is trying to bring his fellow Jew and Gentile to the end of themselves. It's not by the law. It's not by circumcision. It's not because you have the heritage of being a Jew. It's not any of those things that are going to stand before God. It's by faith that Abraham believed and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Verse 16 Therefore, whenever there's a therefore, it's because of what we just read. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to what? Grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, speaking about the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, both Jew and Gentile. All of us. That faith that comes according to grace. Titus tells us that it's not by works of righteousness which you have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saved us, by the washing of regeneration, and that's a fancy word of saying you need to be born again, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. It's not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to His mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace and mercy. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. That seed that passed down from Abraham and his descendants and ended up being the producer of the Messiah himself would become the salvation to you and I. To all. Verse 17 As it is written Paul now quoting from Genesis 17 5. Remember As he's writing this letter, he's writing it where the whole New Testament was not in hand. The scriptures for the Jew would have been going back to the Old Testament. Their scriptures, what they knew. The New Testament was being written. Paul quotes quite often. We already have Habakkuk 2.4. Now he's quoting from Genesis 17.5. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope and in hope believed so that he, speaking about Abraham, became the father of of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. What Paul is doing here is he's pointing back to Father Abraham again. He's using him as an example of a man who trusted God for the impossible. He, he believed that God was able To bring forth that child. Though he had a hiccup. He believed that God was able to do it. He trusted that his God could do the impossible. Even though it seemed impossible. Abraham says. But I believe. God tested Abraham's faith. Didn't he? After that. And called him to put his son upon that altar. And. To really, for Abraham's benefit I want you Abraham to really see how strong your faith is go put your son on that altar and sacrifice him unto me
1: and Abraham
0: and not only Abraham but his son Isaac was willing to do it he was willing to do it why? because he believed that God was able to bring his son back from the dead are we talking about faith here? Why is he called the father of faith? Because he believed in the impossible that God could take his seed and bring forth a nation and multiply it as the sands of the sea. And I believe what you've told me, God. Have you ever said to God, It doesn't make sense? I don't know how you're going to do this, God. It's literally impossible. Do you understand that that's what a miracle is? A miracle is when it goes beyond the ability to comprehend how was that done. That's a miracle. That was what Abraham was believing. That's why he's the father of faith. That's why it all started in faith before the law was even given to Moses. It's always been by faith. Though people want to say, and even the cults, sometimes you'll have a Jehovah's Witness and go, yeah, but he offered his son on the altar see it's faith plus works. No. He already was imputed righteousness before he even offered his son upon that altar. Verse 19, And not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. I had to look up. What's the oldest person in our day and age that's given birth? Anybody have any idea? According to the Guinness World Records, a 66-year-old woman by the name of Maria del Carmen by Caesarean gave birth to twin boys at 66 years old. Any ladies here want to try that? Pretty interesting. But Abraham being 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, Believed God. Believed Him for the impossible. Verse 20 says, but he did not waver. Abraham didn't waver at what God said to him. And that's because Abraham's faith was not only strong faith when he believed in God for that promise, But his faith was a growing faith. You see, what you find in Scripture as you go through is you'll find that there is saving faith. That little measure of faith that you need to believe in Jesus Christ is actually very small. And Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us that even that is a gift of God to you. It's not your faith, it's his faith that he gives to you. And it's very little. But there's saving faith, isn't there? But there's also little faith that's spoken of in Scripture. The disciples in the boat. The storm that was about to swamp them. And Jesus saying to them, O ye of little faith. I told you you were going to the other side, didn't I? And here you are crying out, we're all going to perish. O ye of little faith. He didn't say, oh ye of no faith, oh ye of little faith. Tested faith. Abraham offering up Isaac and how we get tested in our faith. Growing faith, saving faith, strong faith, weak faith. You find all of those in Scriptures. And all of us have experienced those types of faith in our own walks. Sometimes when we're standing upon the promises of God in faith. Other times we're throwing our hands up going, what are you doing, God? God, help our unbelief. You know, you see, God, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you know that? Hebrews 11. It's impossible to please God. Not only only am I saved by it, but but it's not pleasing to God when I'm always living in disbelief. That God is not able to do the impossible. With with God, all things are possible. Pretty, uh, Pretty incredible. Abraham didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and it did. He was strengthened in his faith, and in doing so, it gave glory to God. And being fully convinced... That what God had promised, God was able to perform. Hmm. Strengthened in faith. Fully convinced that what God had promised. How many promises have you read in the Bible? To you and I. How many of them? How many of them do you know by heart? And are you able to stand upon them In time of need. He was fully convinced of what God had promised. That he was also able to perform it. You see that waiting time. You've all been there. God gave me a promise in his word. But I haven't yet seen it fulfilled. I haven't seen it come to pass yet. I'm in waiting mode and I don't like it but I'm believing You, God, that You're able. And I'm fully convinced that what You have promised me, You're able to do. God says, I'm glorified in that. He says in verse 22, and therefore, it was accounted to Him for what? Righteousness. Wow. You've taken a long road, Paul, (laughs) to bring us to this. He could have just said, "Therefore, it's accounted to him for righteousness by faith." But he took all this road to to knock out every crutch and every way that people want to try to get into God. You know, he says it doesn't happen that way. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he goes on, and we'll close with this. Now, it was not written for. Abraham's sake alone. This is towards us now. It wasn't written for Abraham's sake alone that this righteousness was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Have you come to that place in your life where you believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only hope of salvation you have. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Acts 4.12 Verse 25 Who was delivered up? That delivered up is speaking of the cross that Jesus Christ was delivered up because of our offenses. And He was raised for our what? Justification. That's what we're talking about here. Justification by faith apart from works. That's the good news of the Gospel. It's something that we need to be very clear. When I started out the book of Romans, I told you we're going to be talking about a lot of quote, terminology that we see in the Bible. And a lot of that terminology, we've heard the words, but we don't know how to explain it. If somebody asks you why you're saved and how you know you're going to heaven, you need to be able to give them an answer and to give them a clear understanding of how a person gets right with God. That's why the book of Romans is foundational to your faith. You need to know it and know it well. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.